Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. I love that song. It's awesome. What a, what a great song filled with a lot of great truth. This is really an exciting time for Christ Community Church. So the celebration this morning for Shane and Dawn, how exciting this is for them and recently for another added to the household of um, Andrew and Chrissy and as well currently for Andy and Maddie and as well for Pete and Anna. And we're going to add to that group right now. Jessica McGuire is pregnant. Let's go! Woo! Yes! Did I say it right, Zach? All right, yeah. You know, I, I was read the riot act. I've, I've had to hold this news too long. All right, but um, so thankful, obviously excited. Um, truly, as Pastor Brett read, children are a grace gift. Um, in a believing household, we certainly understand that they are not our own. God grants children and leaves for us a heritage that, that we're to invest in. And so, needless to say, I am pumped. Okay? Going to get to be a, a grandfather. Um, in April or May, right? Somewhere around in there. So we're rooting for April 3rd, if that's not too early. That's, and I think it would be appropriate if it's a boy, he'd be named Kevin. I mean, you guys, what I see clearly, we agree with that. So we probably should move on at this point. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to get super sidetracked. Thankful for our church, Seriously. God has been so good to us in a, just so many ways, and He continues to, to work and thankful for all these young families that are pouring in and having children, and we, we rejoice for that, all of that. Um, this morning's text is on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's found in Exodus chapter 13, and I'm going to begin by reading the first 16 verses. That's, that'll be our spot today. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. 
Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. And the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep the statute at its appointed time year to year. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you and to your fathers, shall give it to you. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens to uh, the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when it came, uh, and, when it, and when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let, let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I shall redeem. And it shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by you a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Would you bow your heads as we, as we pray? God, with great thanksgiving, we're thankful we can call you our Heavenly Father because we belong to you as your eternal family. We, we thank you for the good gifts because all good gifts come from you. We thank you for your blessing of our church at Christ Community Church with more children. We give you thanks for that. We rejoice in this, Lord. And we rejoice that uh, we belong to you because of Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and his one day return where we'll spend eternity as your eternal family in the new creation. So as we look at your word now, as we focus upon the feast of unleavened bread, Grow us, Lord. Mature us as people and mature homes, Lord. We ask for that and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and ask for them by the power of the Holy Spirit as well. Amen. It's at this juncture, a very important stage in Israel's history that is, that is taking um, place. Yahweh, or of course Jesus, as we know um, from Jude verse 5, is saving his people 
But we don't want to miss this because the goal is not just to save them from slavery out of Egypt, but that God's people would long for the Messiah to come and that Messiah would dwell with his people. Um, just as the, the state of God's people in Israel, this were true, we know, of course, this is true for us. As God's people, the church, today, we long for Jesus to come and for Jesus to uh, bring in new creation. Because in so doing, we're going to dwell with him in a face-to-face relationship um, for all eternity. Last week, Pastor Alex put us through the institution of the Passover, which closed uh, chapter 12, verse 43 to the end of the chapter. And so we want to first note this thing about Passover and unleavened bread of how they're, how they're tied together. Um, the Passover meal itself wasn't a week or even a day. It was a specific meal to be done at a specific time. God had marked this day, uh, ultimately, um, on the Jewish calendar to be celebrated year to year. And the Passover meal was to remind God's people how Yahweh, again, or Jesus, delivered them from slavery uh, in Egypt. But the Passover meal kicks off a feast of unleavened bread. The feast of unleavened bread lasts seven days following the the initiation of the Passover meal. And yet sometimes you'll see these both called Passover in Leviticus chapter 23, and yet they both have uh, different aims that God intends for us to take note of just as he does in all of the various festivals and offerings that when you move through the book of Leviticus, they were intended to do. Jesus, of course, we know this as Pastor Alex took us through this, is our Passover lamb. The Passover lamb in Egypt foreshadowed Jesus as our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5-7 is clear that Christ is called the Passover Lamb of God's people. Just as the blood of the Passover Lamb rescued God's people from slavery in Egypt and delivering them, the blood of Jesus, of course, saves you and I from the penalty of our sin and the slavery that sin has over us. Well, think about this in some, in some ways, how Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus was crucified during the time of Passover. Mark chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus is called the lamb without blemish. 1 Peter 1, 19. Jesus' life was completely free from sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And so, this celebration of the Passover meal, Yahweh, the Lord, Jesus, is one of Jesus saving God's people. Look at verse 3, as Moses writes this. 
Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Notice this. For by a strong hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. They were saved as God's people solely on what Yahweh did for them. The Passover meal of this lamb had no broken bones. Again, I refer to Pastor Alex's message last week. Look back to chapter 12, verse 46. During that meal, the Passover meal, it shall be eaten in one house, and you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. But look at this. You shall not break any of its bones. The not breaking of the bones signified Yahweh's promise to His people of covenant unity and that God Himself would never break His promise to His people. Once again, this covenant unity and of God not breaking His promise is found in Jesus on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 36. Jesus, of course, dies on the cross with no bones broken. Hence, of course, we know this is true. Christ Jesus is our Passover lamb. But as we turn our attention now, which follows after this, because they are married together, and yet there's different features that are about the unleavened bread uh, festival, because it didn't just last for a meal, it was to last an entire week. The purpose of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, of course, is found in verse 14. Jump ahead to verse 14. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? What does this mean? And of course, Again, it's, it's a reference back to God delivering them, but there's certain things that take place through this week that God didn't want to just save them. He wanted to grow them as He was going to belong, uh, of course, with them ultimately when the Messiah would come. Um, we find this, this change or this uh, in light of, I should say, the fruit of the Passover meal is, of course, the week-long celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread in, in verse 2. Okay? So, once they've had this meal, of course, it initiates this week, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn." Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Now drop down to verse 12. Here's another thing that's, that correlates with this. And you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. So consecrate to me, Yahweh says, and set apart to the Lord. And so what, what is this? Right? If you have an ESV Bible, the, the word consecrate there gives a definition in the footnote 
as being one that's given wholly to God. One that's given wholly to God. When, when God's talking about this here, in, in just not only saving them, what he was letting them know that he has a claim on them as a people. That everything they are as persons, everything that their um, family is, and everything that they possess. Because when you're talking about cattle and herds and, and these types of things, that is their material possessions. Everything that one possessed was to get, be given wholly to the Lord because it was the Lord that gave it to them. So they were to consecrate. That means to set aside everything as holy to God. All firstborns here, both man and beast. Yahweh is saying, because I have saved you, now you belong to me and I have claim over all of your life because everything that you are belongs to me as I give myself to you. When you move through various commands that are given to this meal in verses 6 through 10, we notice that God commands the Israelites to redeem their firstborn. And, of course, redeem doesn't mean to sacrifice them, yet it required the payment of a spotless lamb. And what our minds are called to in this, of course, is the image of salvation by substitution is made clear. Christ, of course, is our substitute, but it doesn't just represent that, because as we saw in the, in the scripture meeting, uh, reading this morning, Jesus himself wasn't, uh, didn't need to be redeemed, and yet Mary and Joseph went and so obeyed this command of the Lord, which we find from here, to fulfill all righteousness. Once again, a few weeks ago in our Eucharist time, Pastor Alex mentions about Jesus as unleavened bread, obviously being symbolic of his sinlessness, but it had to do with his life. And so Mary and Joseph were dedicating Jesus to, to follow, of course, the command. And thus, though, even as it is in his baptism a few weeks ago when um, we were in our elder series, as our elder uh, Mike Shampoo brought out, so the Lord's, uh, or Mary and Joseph's uh, obedience in this regard was to fulfill all righteousness as God's law required. Their instruction that's found in verse 3 and in verse 7 here uh, gives us a couple of things. Let's look at uh, verse 3 in verse 13 and says, Then Moses said, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you from out this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Drop down to verse 7. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, but no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all of your territory. 
So here, here's a simple instruction that's given. They're to put out the leavened bread, that is to not eat it, and to put it out of their house. And they were to eat the unleavened bread, um, which again, of course, is, a, is another symbol. Um, in the leavened bread, and leaven is always used as a symbol of sin. Okay, so, so God's people were to put out the sin that's a part of their lives, and they were, to, they were to take of the unleavened bread, once again, which is a symbol of the sinless Messiah, or the Messiah's righteousness. So you have a putting off of sin, and a putting on of righteousness. And this was to be done in the redemptive calendar of Israel's history, year in, year out. Moses makes note of that in verse 9 to us. Look at verse 9. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between the eyes. So these uh, things that were prescribed for them, that, that God's people were to obey, were signs and memorial of the great deliverance that God had for His people in, in coming out of out of Egypt. And so that kind of is just a quick summation of what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was out. And of course, the, the end day, of, there, was a, there was a celebration to this because they, they were praising Yahweh for His goodness to them and delivering them and that, that the Messiah would one day would, would dwell with them. So what do we take from this? Okay, what do we take for us? Because obviously... Um, those things are not something we, we celebrate, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And I would, I would venture to say, as, as we think about your own Christian life, how does my faith mature? Okay? Um, how does your faith mature? How is it that we grow in the things of God? Because I think they're really kind of set uh, precedent here from the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God left for Israel a reminder, a calendar reminder that they would pause and consider Yahweh in light of the great salvation of having saved them. Um, how does it, in fact, uh, mature us as Christians? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the result of the Passover meal and as a result of God saving them, what does faith look like? And more importantly at this point for us, how does our faith mature? And you'll be thrilled to know that they possess three C's. Three C's. So that's what we're going to transition to now. Three C's. The first one is to consecrate. Consecrate. In verse 1 and verse 2. Okay, so, so God tells Moses, here's the Passover meal, it's to be celebrated, and as a result of that, he tells Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever's the first to open the womb among all the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, um, is mine. And as I mentioned earlier, if you have an ESV study Bible, consecrate simply by simple definition means to make holy by giving to God. If your faith is going to mature, 
if my faith is going to mature, I think this, this is a great beginning place, is having this knowledge that God has claim over every aspect of my life as he has your life. And apart from you living inside of that reality, one's faith can never mature. And certainly a church can't mature. Our entire family belongs to the Lord. Everything that God did in saving you, everything that He has graced you with in material wealth that you possess both have come from God and both belong to Jesus. And until you understand that reality and inwardly live that in your soul and your mind, your faith will not grow. It won't grow. Because you're holding back that which God has said, make holy to me. Now, you think about the logic of it, and obviously it just makes sense. God has saved me um, for all eternity uh, from my sin. I'm no longer under the penalty of my sin. I am no longer uh, will be subject to the judgment of my sin because Christ laid that on himself. It's only right that he possesses every avenue of my life. Anything that your life has connection to belongs to God. Paul will write it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. You and I have been bought with a price. So we don't compartmentalize areas of our lives as if, okay, we come to church, this is church, and then we go about how we work as if that's something different that we possess. No, Every aspect of your life belongs to God. And you want to return that life, right, with wholly consecrating your life to Jesus. Because Jesus saved you. We are bought by the precious blood of Christ. Now, this is true on our part, but it's also very comforting because God is in control, Christians, uh, to your life. He's in control of everything that has to do with your life. So there's going to be never be anything in your life that you're going to be subject to that's not going to come out from the good hand of God fulfilling His purposes for you in light of eternity. So as a Christian, we are to live differently, and we do live differently, because by first, we belong to Jesus because we've placed our faith in Jesus. And because we've placed our faith in Jesus, everything that's a part of my life belongs to God because He saved me for all eternity. God's in control of my life. We want to turn over to God everything that we possess. Because it has come from His good hand. As Christians, we're to consecrate our lives. And I really do believe this is the beginning place. 
until you internalize that in your mind and in your heart, and that's your drive and your, your intent, you will stunt your Christian faith. Until you come to realize that everything you have is the possession of God, granted to you in stewardship, you're going to struggle. And if that is you, and God has convicted you of that, you need to repent of that and turn it over to God. That's even your possessions. Your possessions belong to God. Deuteronomy chapter 8. It is God who gives you the power to have wealth. How many times have you had conversations with Christians that said, you know, they don't give. They don't want to have anything to do with giving. That's their lives. And they view their lives as their own hard work. Now that may be true, that God has granted you opportunities through that. Yet nonetheless, it is God that has given you that opportunity. It is God who strengthens you for your daily task. And God has a rightful claim over every area of our lives. And until, I'm telling you friends, you yield that to God, you will not grow. It's impossible. Because God has a rightful claim to us as believers. Now there's the first C, which is consecrate. The second one is not in the text, but you know we got to do this. we got to make it up somehow. Not make up the Bible. Make up a phrase for it. This is to be communion. A communion. Verse 6 through 10 talks about um, what transpired during the feast of that week of unleavened bread. It is a communion. Okay, so, so now I've come to the place that everything I have in God saving me and everything that I own in God saving me belongs to Him. How now do I uh, live out this life that God has saved. It is found in communion. Put out the leaven, put on the unleavened bread. Of course, we know these are symbolic terms. Put off the sin that's in our lives that we all have, that we all uh, stumble and fall away, and yet there's this tension to to deal with our sin because we belong to God. And I would say to this, as we, in so doing, as we commune with the Lord, this is this communion that we possess, put on then the means of grace. Your greatest resistance to sin come through the means of grace. Your greatest counseling sessions come through the means of grace. And the means of grace are the Word, baptism, and the Eucharist. We resist and deal with our sin as we give ourselves to God's means of grace. We fall under the instruction with hearts desiring to obey God's Word. These, of course, this unleavened bread, were the signs and seals that they were to remember as God's people as they came out of Egypt. So too for us, as we give ourselves to the means of grace, the Word, 
baptism and the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper are the signs and seals in His ordinary way to grow you. And a consistent pattern of giving your life to it and to giving your family's life to it, God, over seasons of life, mature you and He grows you. And this is His primary means. This is God's desire. Now here's what happens when Christians neglect the means of grace. Faith becomes weakened and if it goes for too long of a season, they'll fall into egregious sin. Now we're all dealing with sin, right? We're all going to come to this table now and we did in the confession and pardon time. We're, we're always wrestling with and dealing with our sin. Why? Because God tells us to put out the leaven. He tells us to remove it from our lives, to remove it from our home. Why? Because Jesus died to save us from our sin. We're not to embrace sin. We're not to uh, uh, sin against the God that saved us by, by willfully giving ourselves to our sin. No, rather, we're to grapple with it. We're to wrestle with it. God's primary way for that is giving ourselves to the means of grace. He uses them as the signs and seals to strengthen our faith, to build our lives for His namesake and as being a part of His kingdom. This communion is necessary. This communion is vital. And apart from giving yourself to it in a regular diet, you will not grow. You will not mature. Your faith will not strengthen. Because this is God's way. It's His ordinary way. It calls upon us to reflect upon the power of God to transform our lives. I want you to do this mental exercise at this moment. Think about the time you came into faith and as you give yourself to the means of grace and where your life is now. And think about all the things that God has done in trailing that. In just simple obedience, right? In just the very uh, simple steps of faith by obeying God. By giving yourselves to the means of grace, God will grow you. He'll strengthen you. He'll help you through that growth to deal and battle well with your sin. Church, do not neglect the means of grace. They are vital in God's primary way to save you. The last of the C's this morning is community. It's community. So we have consecrate, right? Give everything that you are, everything that your family is, everything that you possess as holy to God. Then you have this communion that's lifelong where you're wrestling with your sin to put off your sin and to put on Christ. And of course, Christ's righteousness is what we possess. He is, I'm thinking of 1 Thessalonians, I guess 5.23. He is sanctifying you holy. Right? This isn't just a try-hard thing. God is at work in you 
uh, uh, providing ways and means to commune with Him, to, to grant and help you, right, through putting off sin. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. God will make a way. And of course, what we're reminding ourselves, as, as Israel did in the redemptive calendar, is to preach the gospel to ourselves. To give ourselves to the means of grace, the word and the sacraments, for the sake of our growth in grace. And here's another thing that's, a, I think, the final, certainly a big struggle in American Christianity is that Christianity is to be done in community. It's to be done in community. Look at verse 16. I keep wanting to say Paul. <laughs> it's not Paul, it's Moses. Moses is giving this instruction for God's people. And here's how he sums this up for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It shall be a mark on your hand and frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand of the Lord brought, look at this, us out of Egypt. He brought us out of Egypt. If one of the gross perversions of American Christianity, it's, it's this idea that you can do Christianity on your own. That, you know, you don't have to be a part of a church. You don't have to to do anything that's tied to God, and yet you call yourself Christian, and you think your faith can mature. God never designed it that way. He was saving a people for Himself. This community, of course, is us. It's both true that it's personal, and yet it's corporate. When the question was to be asked by the family, what does this mean, right? There was, a, there was a direct correlation that that family was to reflect and then ultimately God's people were to reflect together in the Feast of Unleavened Bread that Yahweh is the one that saves us. He is the one that my life belongs to. He is the one that I must obey. And that I'm doing this not off on my own, but I'm doing it in community with God's people. Our personal gospel stories uh, that are all wonderful to hear. Um, one of the great things that you get to do as a pastor is to hear how God saved uh, you personally. And yet, all of ours fit comfortably together in God's grand redemptive story. That it's God who has saved all of us and placed us together. So when we're thinking about growing our faith, it is both personal and yet it is corporate. Or to be done in community. Our lives are to be fit together in community together. Remember, this is how uh, the big picture of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that the Lord brought us together out of Egypt. Just as God fit the feast in the redemptive calendar to build community, God uses the church and the means of grace to build community together. As we come together as one family, to 
the bread and to the wine. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. God never intended Christians to live in isolation. Christianity is an us. It's an us. So you want your faith to grow. That's a proper desire. It's a right desire. As little babes desire the sincere milk of the world uh, of the word and you grow thereby. Consecrate your life. Live in communion with God and do it in the community of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful for you. You do things, Lord, that just fill our hearts with so, so much great joy as we, we stumble along together in our own failures and our weakness. I pray, Lord, for our church this morning. I, I pray for, for, for individuals and I pray for families and I pray for us collectively that we will mature in faith. That we will see our lives to be consecrated to You. That there's no avenue of our lives, both in who we are and what we possess, that do not belong to You. You have made claim on us, and we want to humbly yield to You in love. Lord, Give us strength by Your Word and by the sacraments to, to deal with our sin. To put sin out of our lives and to draw on the righteousness of Christ that You have given us. Help us, Lord, to live in communion with You as we give ourselves to this means of grace which You take and over time in the weekly design of this, Lord, to build our lives as we yield to them, as, as we give ourselves to them. Lord, help people, even this morning, to nurture and cultivate this idea of having communion with You. Lord, then help us to, to always see our lives in light of community. You saved us to be a part of certainly on a large scale, your eternal family, and yet on a local scale, that we would do Christianity together with other brothers and sisters to preach the gospel to the world, that others might be delivered from the slavery and penalty of their sin, that we would grow together in community, Lord, as we herald your truth, as we draw closer to your truth. Lord, these are really simple steps when we consider them, and yet they are so necessary. They're so necessary. And it's through this ordinary living, Lord, you take individuals. And by faith, you transform them. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace this. And for whatever misgivings or sin against this, Lord, you will provoke our hearts to confess this to you. That we might live for
for your namesake in consecration, in communion, and in community. We pray for these things and ask for them in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, you may rise and go receive the elements. Thank you.